You are listening to a message from Crestview Bible Church in Hutchinson, Kansas. For more information and additional resources, visit us at CrestviewBibleChurch.org. In our country, we're messed up when it comes to the concept of roles in marriage. And here's a story that illustrates this. This story was told by Thomas Wheeler, who's the CEO of the Massachusetts Mutual Life Insurance Company, and he tells this on himself. So here's the story. He and his wife were driving along an interstate highway when he noticed that their car was low on gas. So he got off the highway at the next exit and soon found a run-down gas station with just one gas pump. And he asked the lone attendant to fill the tank and check the oil and then went for a little walk around the station to stretch his legs. As he was returning to the car, he noticed that the attendant and his wife were engaged in an animated conversation. The conversation stopped as he paid the attendant, but as he was getting back in the car, he saw the attendant wave and heard him say, It was great talking to you. As they drove out of the station, Wheeler asked uh, asked his wife if she knew the man, and she readily admitted that she did. They had gone to high school together and had dated steadily for about a year. Boy, were you lucky that I came along, bragged Wheeler. If you had married him, you'd be the wife of a gas station attendant instead of the wife of a chief executive officer. To which his wife said, my dear, if I had married him, he'd be the chief executive officer and you'd be the gas station attendant. (laughs) So there's a a lot of parts of that story that really don't reflect godliness, right? You know, like the husband's pride, you know, the husband, you know, stepping in there and, you know, just... I'm the answer to your prayers, right? Um, and really, the reply of the wife seems to be the current culture of our day put on display. In fact, there's um, a reality show tonight on TLC called, um, what's the name of it? Um, the Submissive Wives uh, Guide, I think, or something like this. And it's, they're going to they're gonna do kind of a reality show type format on three wives that are submissive to their husbands and kind of let the culture see how this works. Um, so this is seems that anything in our world today, though, that speaks of the husband leading, smells of male chauvinism. And any time we speak of wives submitting, we feel like someone's being slighted. So even if I just last night to kind of prep my mind for where we were, I was looking at some what some bloggers say about this show coming on TLC tonight, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's wild. Um, because the response was, well, of course, everyone's equal in marriage and has an equal say, and we're going to talk about the rub here. Um, when we talk about roles, for some reason, it's like some, something's being hindered or pressed down from what all God intends it to be. That's really how we think about that. But today, especially as we come to God's Word and think about this subject, I want us to be really mindful of what Paul said in Colossians 2, He issued a warning that we needed to heed in verses 8 through 10. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty tradition, or empty deceit, according to to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you've been filled with him who's the head of all rule and authority. It's really helpful. That's really helpful. If you claim to be a believer, what God has to say in his word is of enormous importance to you. So 
are you following the spirit of this age when it comes to how you think about roles in marriage? Are you following the elemental spirits of Christ, the spirit of Christ and what he said? The one who has all rule and authority. Are you, have you been taken captive by the world's philosophy or deceit? Or are you built, have you built your thinking on human tradition? Or have you built it on Christ? If you're building on Christ, then what this passage is saying is that begins by seeing him as the authority in the head. So that's the question. Does Christ have the right to call the shots in your life? Does he have all authority? Is he the head of your life? So for our time together this morning, we're going to look in Genesis chapters 1 through 3, a reminder that Genesis, if you had to describe it to someone and someone had said, what's the book of Genesis about? Just remember, it's the book of beginnings. So we see a lot of things beginning in the book of Genesis. And um, we're going to continue thinking about what God intended for marriage from the beginning. And Genesis is a good place to start. And so I really today want to introduce you to biblical roles. I want to introduce you to this idea. Maybe you've never even heard a sermon on this. What does God want you to do? And I want you to see that your help for future obedience isn't going to come from you digging deeper or isn't going to come from your spouse just choosing to act differently. Your help and hope for future obedience comes through the gospel. That's what all this, these first three chapters of the Bible teach. Can you believe that? The Bible's not saying you dig deep and try harder tomorrow. The Bible's saying you're a royal mess up and I've sent my son to fix this. And so we have hope in that. If you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus for your salvation, then he's not your authority. I mean, that's really the, the issue, isn't it? So when I talk about Jesus being the head of authority, does he have the right? If you're not a believer, he doesn't have the right. You know, it's no big deal. He's just a nice person. Maybe he's a good thing that you could think about, but he doesn't have the right to call the shots. In fact, if you were honest, now you probably wouldn't say this in this room, but if you were honest, you could really care less about what Jesus thought. You may take my words as spouting some sort of religious idea, but not something that really relates to real life where you're at. But Christianity, the message of Christianity, comes to the core of who you are. It comes to the ruling, governing structures of your life and says, who's going to rule? Are you going to rule? Then how's that going to go? Or is Christ going to rule? The one who came and made all things new. The one who came to rescue you from sin. Is he going to be the ruling force in your life? Are you submissive to God's desires or your own? So the gospel can bring this kind of change. And so today, I hope you'll see this and submit to Jesus and turn from your sin and believe the gospel. Such great good news to believe, and it's so life-changing. And if you're a believer, what I assume is that you, Christ is the head. Christ is the one that you want to be glorious, that you would want it to be said of your relationships that they exist for him, not for your own selfish purposes. Um, So I hope that's why you're here. And there's a lot that we need to learn about roles in marriage, a lot we need to think about, a lot of scripture we need to steep in. And so let's submit to it. Let's submit to what God's word teaches Let's allow Christ to exhibit that he's our head and authority and allow him to train us in these matters. That's what the gospel does. Titus 2 talks about, I want to make sure I get it right, so let me look this up real quick. Titus 2. When it talks about what the power of the gospel is able to do, 
Listen to this. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And here's what the gospel does. The grace of God does. It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age as we wait for our blessed hope, the Lord Jesus Christ's appearing to come. So that's what the gospel should be at work doing. It should be, it should be changing you, causing you to renounce selfishness, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So um, let's pursue all this in Genesis 1. Um, Genesis 1 through 3. We're going to see four facts about roles as they relate to marriage. Four facts about roles. Um, And so as we survey these chapters, we'll look at the scriptures in line there, okay? Uh, The first fact we see is that God created men and women with intrinsic value outside of the roles. So look down at verse 27 of Genesis 1. Here's what we read there. Oh, really, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created men and women with intrinsic value apart from their roles. So again, in Genesis 1, God's creating the world out of nothing. He's speaking and it's coming into being. Uh, and in 126, God says to himself, let's make man in our image. And so let's give man some authority, like we have authority. Uh, authority over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens, livestock, over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So let's give them that role. Uh, This was God's intention from the beginning, that we would be made in his image. We're uniquely reflecting God to the world. Uh, We're uniquely reflecting in our actions what it looks like for God to have dominion over the earth. So, (laughs) as you exercise dominion over creepy things, I mean, do any of you people do that in your homes or do you just let the bugs run wild? I mean, I exercise dominion over the creeping things when I can find them. In fact, I... I'm so powerful in my regime that I actually call in experts to take care of the creeping things because I don't really, I'm not quite sure of my authority over them yet. <laughs> but I bring someone in who has authority over them who will like spray something on a wasp's nest and it's just amazing. So oh, I guess that's not a creeping thing, it's a flying thing, but you get the idea. So God created us for this purpose. When we do that, we're, we're showing the value we have, that we're made in the image of God. We're, we're reflecting how God is to the world. But verse 27 gives us the conclusion of the thought that God had to himself. Here's the explanation. God did indeed create man in his own image, in the image of God he created them. You get that. Look at verse 27. What does it say? God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. God made you out of a mold that shows who he is. You have value. In him, because he made you. Every single one of you in this room, he made you. Namely, we were created male and female. So he's shown us that. He's shown the world his creative design by making us male and female. It doesn't matter if you're red, yellow, black, or white. God's made you to reflect his image. 
whether you're a man or a woman, doesn't affect the value you have before the creator of the universe. He made all of mankind in his image. So too often when we discuss roles in marriage, we lose sight of this verse. We think that our role is what gives us value before God. And yeah, God does have a design that he wants us to walk in, but we have value in being a created human being. God's put each of us in this room to reflect his image. And each of us do that in unique ways. There's ways we all have that make God's glory pop and shine and be brilliant. It's as if God looked in a mirror and crafted human beings to display what he looks like to the world. And he's done this. And he's done this by making us male and female. So again, our world, not only are they trying to mess up a bunch of stuff, but the, the captive philosophy of this world even, just a couple weeks ago, there's this big, where maybe the most, one of the most famous Olympians in U.S. history is saying, I'm not sure who I am anymore. And what's that doing? It's, it's blurring the value that God's made. God's established this male and female. So if you, say, if you have friends that say, well, it doesn't matter if I'm male or female, it does. Because it's about reflecting the image of God. That's how you're made. That's how God wired you. You have that. There's a value there. Apart from the role that you've been called to, you have value because God made you in his image. And that's the case for every single one of us in this room. So that's the first fact about this in the Bible. Secondly, what we looked at last week, if you turn over with me to chapter 2, is that before the fall, or before sin enters the world, God created men and women with specific roles. So, uh, this was last week's sermon, or or at least a big point in last week's sermon. And just look with me at some verses. So, in verse 18, the Lord said to Adam, or Lord said, it's not good that the man should be alone, I'll make a helper fit for him. So there's, that's hinting at roles. Or verse 19, whatever... Whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. So there's a role that's given to Adam. Verse 20, for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. And even down to verse 23, when the man at last speaks, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So we noticed this last time, but it's worth repeating again because this was God's plan before sin entered the world that roles would be on display in marriage. Okay? Um, God shapes this. So, in, 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 again, in 2.15, it's God who puts man in the garden with the responsibility to work the ground and to keep it. It's to the man in verses 16 and 17 that God gives the command that he can eat from any tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that he eats of it, he will surely die. God presumes that Adam's going to be the man that keeps this command. And in verse 18, God, recognizing that God recognizes that man is alone and it's not good because he needs a helper. So there's the role of the woman beginning to take shape in creation, that f- filling what's lacking in man. So again, as we walk through this passage, Adam's given authority to name the animals and whatever the man named the living creatures, that was its name. And verse 20, as all these animals are coming before Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. There was no one like him. No one made in the image of God with value like he had in all of creation. So this crowning moment comes when 
God takes the rib from Adam and forms a woman and brings her back to the man. And then at last he says, This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So there's some specific roles that are in place here before sin enters the world. So that's, that's where a shift needs to take place in our mind. Okay? So our world just says, oh, you know, male chauvinists have made all this up. And no, even before sin entered the world, God has roles that are happening. So the idea is this would take place even if there was no sin in the world. That's what it's getting at here in this passage in Genesis 2. The man's placed with a specific work, with authority, with needing help. And there's a woman placed before the man, taken from the man to be a helper to the man. So wives submitting to husbands is not just the result of sin. If there would have been no sin ever, Adam still would have been given a helper. So there's these, this idea of the Bible's teaching on roles is beginning to take shape. Everyone's created with value. That's the first word. And then there's roles that are in place even before sin enters the world. Now, some of you are very aware that, well, sin did enter the world. So what happened? Well, look at that in chapter 3. This is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today. In chapter 3. After the fall, roles were distorted in ways that do not honor God. So this is verses 1 through 19. Let's read this together. I'll try to read it quickly, but I think it's important to hear the word of the Lord here. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, And he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the woman and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave the fruit, gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust You shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and your offspring, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. 
In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So sin messed things up royally. Um, A few things stand out here. Uh, The serpent went to Eve, undermining God's authority structure. So see that in verses 1 through 7. Remember, up to this point, the only commands from God have been given to the husband. Okay? So back in 2, verses 16 and 17, um, the woman was not created yet when that command comes in verses 16 and 17. He's the one who had been given that authority to lead. He was to chart the course of the spiritual direction for this family. But the serpent came to Eve, questioning the words that God had spoken to Adam. And the serpent holds out a distorted promise. Eve began to question not only her husband's authority, but ultimately she questioned the word of God. And she took the tree's fruit and ate. And look at what verse 6 says. She took its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. He was there. Adam was there. Can you believe this? Can you believe this? I mean, some of you ladies are like, yeah, I believe it totally. He's deadbeat, just like my husband. Um... Adam was there just being a passive, non-leading, unfirming convictions man. And he'd failed as a leader. He should have beaten that snake to death with the rod or whatever. But instead, he let the serpent play games with his wife and allure her. And he didn't step up to the role that God had given him. And as a result, they realized they were naked, whereas before, the end of, chapter 20, uh, end of chapter 2, verse 25, the men and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now they sin, their eyes are open, they know they're naked, and they sewed fig leaves together. All of a sudden, they are ashamed. They, they know shame. Before, they had centered their lives on God, God's authority, and now they had failed to live to, God, to follow God's word And there were consequences. They were shamed in the presence of God. So that's how the passage begins. And the woman is cursed with pain in childbirth. And she's cursed with domination by man. See that in verses 8 through 13 and verse 16. So um, beginning in verse 8, there's a brief playing of the blame game. I don't know if you guys have ever played that in your house. But it's uh, a game we all play. So God comes to Adam. Adam blames his wife. The wife blames the serpent. And so then finally God just says, okay, here's the deal. You'll have pain in childbearing. You'll have pain in childbearing. That's verse 16, by the way. So to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So it's not going to be easy. A lot of you ladies know that. 
And God also says, not only just the childbearing piece, but look at the end piece. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Just as, as Eve had usurped the role of her husband by being tempted to sin, um, the woman's going to long for the leadership, long to take the leadership away from her husband, long to take that role away from her husband, but he's to be the head. So the curse there is the desire to lead the home. Um, this is just one of these awkward things in Scripture where I just have to tell you what the Bible's saying. And what I see this saying is that when you're tempted to rule the roost, wife, um, you're simply affirming that you're a sinner. When you're grasping for those reins of leadership, you're affirming the curse. You're failing to follow the path that God's intended for you. And look at what God says to the man. I mean, this is the man is cursed in painful work until death, but that comes with hope. So in verses 17 through 19, God's dealing with the man is a little different than his dealing with Eve. So with Eve, he just says, hey, childbirth is going to be a pain and you're going to want to rule your home and that's not my plan. But look at, look at how he addresses the man in verse 17. He kind of gives some explanation as to what's going on. Um, God's highlighting the role that Adam has. Look at that. Because you listen to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. So there's reasoning there because of this. This was the problem. Adam knew what God had told him, and he allowed his leadership to be usurped. He had given over the reins. And so because of this, the ground was cursed. Adam and all of us behind him struggle to work. It's not a joy. We're not characterized by walking through this world like walking through the garden in fellowship with God in the cool of the day with joy. No, um, it's not a joy. It's a curse with weeds and thorns and thistles and other trials that come our way. Not only this, Adam would die. So he's dust. He was made out of dust, and to dust he's going to return. And the hope, I think, comes in verses 20 and 21. On the heels of that, what would you say? On the heels of that, what would you say? I mean, I would just be like, I think, you know, God, God have mercy. I, I don't even know what I would say. And look at what happens in verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So Eve, that means life. Life. He recognizes that God's doing something even through all this. Even though God had, had cursed, Adam had eyes of faith to lift his eyes and see that there was life that was coming. So we can see how the fall radically affected things. We can see how sin radically affected things. Instead of a life content to exist, to be all about glorifying and enjoying God forever, uh, together in relationship, we have all these struggles and toils in relationship. Women want to take the reins of leadership away, and men want to be passive, and they want to have a painful go at marriage. So what's our hope? What's our hope? Well, you might have noticed I skipped over a couple of verses there. Our hope is found in verses 14 and 15. 
Look here. That the gospel sets men and women back into a right practice of roles. The gospel does this. Especially verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So the serpent's curse and the woman's offspring will crush him. So even in the midst of this seemingly horrible news, God curses the serpent by cursing him above all livestock and all the beasts of the field. That's verse 14. Uh, The serpent will crawl on his belly and eat dust. That's not where you want to be if you're going to be a dominating land mammal. (laughs) You don't want to be crawling around on your belly licking dirt. Uh, There's also going to be enmity between the serpent and the woman and between their offspring. So there's going to be a war going on. Uh, If you're a Bible scholar, you might know that verse 15 is what we call the proto-euangelion. That's the Latin word. It's kind of like the first gospel message. It comes right in the middle of this. I mean, this is just God's heart. You know, we talk about in the Bible how God's full of compassion and mercy. And this is God doing it. What Adam and Eve had messed up royally, God comes and says, yeah, but there's hope. Everything's not lost here. There's hope here, even in child, even through this childbearing. This, um, there's one coming who will bruise, it will end this. This conquest will happen. The curse entered through human sin and the conquest will happen by humans somehow. That's all we know at this point in Genesis. But God was going to accomplish this. God was going to send his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. He, he was going to accomplish this. And it's Jesus. This prophecy is pointing to Christ. Jesus was the one who was despised and rejected. He was the one who knew the sting of death. He knew what it was to be bruised on the heel. He knew that in his life and death. But it's this Jesus who's conquered Satan, who's bruised his head with his perfect life, death, and resurrection. Jesus is our hope. So it's through the gospel that we can have hope for our relationships. It's through the gospel that all that's messed up can be set right through the redemption that's offered through Jesus. Wives can embrace their role as a means to please God, and husbands can embrace their role, their loving leadership role, in a way that that pleases God. But sin distorts these promises. But God's grace is bigger. God's grace is more glorious. And God's grace sets us on a path to glorify God as we follow his word. So, um, obviously you can tell why this is such a difficult sermon for me to give. Because the question here for most of us, is probably not what the Bible teaches. The question's a question of application, isn't it? What does that look like with the deadbeat you've given me? Right? Um, so, I want to try to engage some of these questions on application with some caveats. So, what I'm saying about biblical roles is that the wife has a role of respectful submission. The husband has a role of loving leadership. That's what I believe existed before the fall. That's what's reconfirmed in Ephesians 5. So you could read that passage too. I wanted to focus our attention on Genesis 1-3. to Um, So what do we say about applying this? Well, first of all, this is not a license for anyone to be selfish. 
I mean, it occurs to me that most of the problems come in the application of this because we get our eye on the other person, right? So, like, as we were talking about these roles, some of you were thinking, well, I can think of all the ways that my husband's not a loving leader. Or husbands can be thinking, I can think of the hundreds of ways that my wife doesn't submit to me the way I think she ought to. And so we naturally drift into like a selfish way of thinking, right? And this is not a call for you to be selfish. What's this a call for? Grace. It's a call for grace. It's a call for you to look and fix your eyes on the authority, the head, Jesus. This is not giving... um, I know I just have to say this in today's world. This concept is not biblical license for anyone to abuse someone else. Okay? So if any of you husbands are idiotic enough to take what the Bible's teaching here as a means to beat your wife, just it just makes me indignant that you would be such a heretic and distort the picture that God's showing here. That's not what this is about at all. And wives, if you're submitting, uh, if you think that you have to submit to that and be in some abusive relationship because that's what the Bible teaches, don't believe that. Call a Christian friend, call my office this week, call one of the elders, and we're going to fix this to the best of our ability. You cannot stay there. You cannot remain. That is not God's design. It's wrong. And so it has to change, right? Quick. So this is one of the ways that sin is distorting this. There's people in today's world who think that the Bible's teaching this kind of behavior, and it's sick. So we have to say that. Roles are not given, I already said this, in marriage, due to anyone lacking value. So it's not like the wives are incapable of leading. In some cases, it makes sense as that's applied that there's going to be areas that for some couples, the husband might lead in one area. And for another couple, it might be that the wife takes the lead in that area. And that application looks different because we're all made in the image of God. It's different in every situation. What has God done in marriage? He's put two sinners together. He's not given us a wooden application and saying, okay, well, if you don't write every check that comes out of your family, you're not the leader in that home. Well, it's ridiculous. That's not what God's getting at at all. We all know stories of, in some cases, where the wife's the better manager of the checkbook, and in some cases, where the husband's the better manager of the checkbook. That gets flushed out in your situation. There's different applications of that in your home. And none of that. When I was young and married, and I guess I'm still young um, in some ways, but when I was first married, Meg and I were talking about this, about how our thoughts on roles have changed over 10 years of marriage. When I was first married, I thought the application of this looked the same pretty much everywhere. You know, here's what it ought to look like, and you, and you, and this, and that. And if this is happening, oh, well, she must not be submitting, you know, because this is happening. That's not the case. It's going to look different in every situation. Because God knew what was lacking in Phil, and so he gave me Meg. So that together, we can honor God in our relationship. And that's what God did for you. And in some cases, God even just gives such great grace that somehow a single parent could embody all these characteristics in one person. I mean, isn't that amazing that God would be that kind of 
wise and good God to pull something off like that. To do what's best for her family in a, in a moment. So this is about, in marriage, with two people married, it's about two people coming together in marriage and putting themselves under God's authority. Under Him. The husband has a general role of loving leadership and the wife has a general role of respectful submission, but that's going to look different. If you guys set your hearts on God um, and then begin to look at your own heart and what God's called you to be, then there's going to be a lot of course corrections made, right? (laughs) But if we look to God and then start legislating law on what our spouse is to be, the law never changes anyone. So the command that you're, that husbands are to be loving leaders to their wives isn't going to change any man to be a loving leader. The command is holy and righteous and good, but the command can't change anyone. Only the gospel can change you to be that kind of loving leader that you need to be. The command just shows us all the ways we mess up, doesn't it? So the command comes and says, husbands, you're to be a loving leader. And as we begin to look at that, God, what does that look like in my life? We begin to see, oh, I need to do a better job in this. I need to do a better job in that. And then grace mobilizes us to accomplish that. So set your heart on God. Look to yourself and the role that you've been given. And then as you look to your spouse, look to them as one who's not going to keep God's standard. You know I, know, I know it's surprising to you, but you live with a sinner, right? So one, um, a really great marriage book you could read is called When Sinners Say I Do. <laughs> uh, that's what's going on. Um, you're married to a sinner, so they're not going to get it right. I mean, Meg could tell you that I don't get it right. Um, so don't be surprised when that happens. Don't heap judgment. So some of you are going to walk out of here saying, you know, my, my husband's such a deadbeat. He needs to be a better loving leader. He does. You pointing that out probably isn't going to change his heart. Um, you know, so just, it may. I mean, I, one of the changes that Meg told me that changed in her line of thinking was um, she was always real careful to... Like, okay, you're the leader, kind of chart the course for our family, you know. And I would come back and say, no, 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 what are your thoughts? Oh, no, 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 you're the leader, you make the decision. No, 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 what are your thoughts? You know, we'd have this go, this dance, you know. And um, I finally just put my foot down one day and said, listen, okay, fine. I, I can make a decision, but I would be foolish not to draw on all the wisdom that God's given you as my wife, and that together is one. I can make a wise decision. We can make a wise decision. And then she finally said, well, here's my thought. Yeah, I thought that's what you were probably thinking. Yeah, and I needed to know that. You know, so um, it's that kind of thing that, that working together that, remember last week's point, you know, not thinking one, but or not thinking two, but one. Think about that. Think about how God's put you together and give grace. Um. Look to your spouse who's not going to keep God's standard apart from the gospel and look to the gospel to find hope for your marriage. Look to the gospel. That's what Jesus does every day. I mean, he makes all things new.
He's continually renewing. And my guess is, if, if you have a husband or uh, maybe husband, if you have a wife that's trying to walk with God, you're going to be able to see evidences of grace and growth over the past few years. Yeah, maybe that person's not there yet. But can you concede that there's been growth, that maybe God's working by grace? Some of us still have a long way to go, but hopefully grace is having a say in our lives. So um, those are kind of some caveats to all this as we apply it. We've looked at four facts about roles as they relate to marriage, that God created both men and women with intrinsic value outside of the roles. And before the fall even, before sin entered the world, God put roles in place. The fall messed it all up, but now the gospel's in the work of restoring that, enabling us to live in a way that's right. So I think I want to say at this moment, do you know Jesus? Has he changed you? Is he changing you? Has he redeemed you from the curse of sin and set you on a path to glorify him in all you do? If you don't know him, if you haven't turned from your sin and believed in him, I think probably today you've been made aware of sin, been made aware of the effect of sin on your life. And you probably have tasted this every day of your life. So no matter what age you are, the effect of sin has had ramifications for your life. So either wherever you're at in that, repent of sin. So in other words, just turn from that. Turn from that way of living and say, Jesus, I want you to be my authority, my head. I believe and trust in you and what you did in the gospel. I believe you've made all things new. Trust that his perfect life, his sin-atoning death, and his sin-conquering resurrection were for you. We call that obeying the gospel, just having a firm faith in Jesus. So do that today. Believe that. And if you're a believer, I I think there's three theological applications that I just want to say in general ways um, as it relates to roles. So just restating everything again. God created you in his image. Each one of us in this room were a special creation of God's. When he made you, he said it was good. So don't try to define your value on the opposite sex in this life. There's people who do that. If I could just have this kind of relationship, I'd have value. No, God's given you value today. Exactly where he's placed you. He's given you value. Your value shouldn't be in how you look or what you've achieved. I mean, those are other things we run to, other streams we try to find our value in. That if I could just do this, or if I could just make this amount of money, or if I could just look this way, then I would have value. No, you have value today. You have value. God's made you. God made you in his image. I mean, think about that. He's made you in his image. So your value shouldn't be in how good of a wife you are, or how good of a husband you are. Your value comes... Because you're created in the image of God. And if you're a believer, your value comes because God's even put you in a right relationship with himself because of his son. He made you. And so because he's good, all that he makes is pleasing to him and is used to reflect his image. So that's what God's accomplishing in you. And God may give you a spouse to help you accomplish that better, but he may not. And you're still valuable. God may allow you to have millions of dollars so that you can honor God with the With all that, he may allow you to have not so many millions of dollars so that you can have value and honor him in that. 
Um, God may allow you to look like whoever you think looks cool, and he may not. And wherever you are, he's, he's called you to have value in your life, have value in who he's made you to be. So some of us just need to rest there. So such a discontent society. We just need to find contentment in who he's made us to be. And um, related to that, sin distorts his image. So while all that I just said is true, God didn't create sin. In Adam, we've all sinned. So because of his failure, and because of specifically this failure to maintain godly roles, we all know sin today. And sin keeps us from fully showing God, from fully imaging God in the way that we were meant to. And if we're believers, you know, the, the abiding residual effect of sin still remains in our lives. We, we, um, it can't keep us from our standing before God. It can't keep us from being righteous. But it does have a nagging, continual effect in our lives. We still wrestle with indwelling sin. So if you're a wife and you fail to submit, it's a lingering effect of sin. If you're a husband and you're failing to be the godly leader and you passively acquiesce, you fail to give your wife any kind of direction, you're giving in to the lingering effect of sin. And so third, the gospel is the means for our continuing to conquer sin. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's everything. So as we seek to follow and obey God's desire for our practice of roles, we must realize that our hope for dealing with sin is the gospel. So again, I, w- I want to say to some of you men in here, just let's be the leaders God's called us to be. Let's do that with love. Let's do that with eagerness. But I don't want you to just do that and try to gut it out on your own. I want you to look to Jesus. I want you to find grace from him. And then I want you to pursue that. I want you to pursue that lean in hard on Jesus for everything you're going to do. Trusting him completely for all that you are. It's only through the gospel that we can obey properly. So we can wage war against the lingering effect of sin and um, center, we can center our lives in the gospel and find a course correction. So a lot of your take-home notes uh, relate to that idea. Um, on, so on the back of your notes is what we call the flip side, and that's something you and your wife can work through or you and a spouse can work through and work through those scripture passages and uh, think about how the gospel helps give you freedom from sin's power. You can walk in victory today because of the gospel. You can obey. You can walk in that course direction in the power of the gospel. So there's a group of people that are sold out to glorify and enjoy God forever. That's where we want to be. We want to honor him with our lives. Let's embrace the godly practice of roles that we can glorify God in our marriages. And all this is completely and only enabled by the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I hope that something I've communicated today has helped. Um, I feel like um, I'm communicating something that I'm still learning about and I'm still wrestling with what the truth of your word says and I've seen this applied in ways that are misguided and so I want to be very careful in what I say. I want Christ to be the one who's glorious in our life together and so 
I pray that you would work in us by the gospel to make us who you want us to be. And I thank you for so many of these people here at Crestview. Uh, many of them live this so well. I look to them as, as models as to how this is lived out and um, praise you for that. That's something you've done. Um, and yet all of us in the room still need to grow. And so we need your help. So allow your word to, to root and establish us. Let us build on these foundational principles of who we are in Christ so that we can, we can have lives that honor you. We can practice our roles effectively. Um, we want to walk this way, so help us. And also, we're thankful that we're not left alone. You've given us your Holy Spirit to lead us into truth. So um, help us to honor you through this and to be in step with him and, and to be led and directed in ways that honor you. Um, so I pray that there's something here that's clear and helpful and um, that you'd continue to confirm this by your spirit in our lives. And for those here that maybe don't have a relationship with you, I pray that you would show them the effect that sin has and that their only hope and remedy for that is Christ. So we, we come very needy and looking to you and ask for help in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message helps you to glorify God and enjoy Him forever.